Well, now let's turn in our Bibles. We've got two portions of Scripture that I want us to consider first of all. Let me say that there won't be a, an in-depth exposition this evening of any particular portion uh, of God's Word, but we'll be looking at various selected Scriptures as we look generally at an introduction to this great theme that we'll spend more time in detail looking at specifics in the weeks that lie ahead as we consider the title, Why Study Heaven? And the first scripture I want you to turn to is Colossians chapter 3, Paul's epistle to the Colossians chapter 3. And then the second portion, if you want to turn to it as well, to have it ready, is Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. But first of all, Colossians chapter 3, and Paul writing to these believers says in verse 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then turning over uh, to Matthew's Gospel, as I said, in chapter 6, this time, verse 19. Jesus speaking as much to us as he was to those in the multitude on the mount as he delivered this great sermon says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, or there will your heart be also. What the Bible has to say about heaven will inevitably, over these weeks, give us a glimpse, many glimpses, hopefully, into glory. But tonight we want to look, generally speaking, at why we should embark upon study upon heaven. Now, heaven as a word is found 582 times within the Bible. It has different senses and meanings, and we'll not be considering them all throughout this Bible study series. Of course, heaven can refer to the atmospheric heaven, the place where the clouds are and the birds fly. That's not the heaven we'll be considering. And then there is the planetary heaven, outer space, and that is not what we will consider. Rather, we will be considering God's dwelling place, which is also called heaven. Now, I'm very rarely personal uh, when I preach, and I hope you'll forgive me for being such just now, but I want you to understand a little bit of the process of how I felt led to preach a series of studies on the subject of heaven. As I was considering taking up the Bible readings again on a Monday evening, I had no real guidance regarding what theme or what book or what subject to take. 
And then my grandfather died. He passed into the presence of the Lord as a saved man, prepared for eternity. And in fact, both my grandfathers died in a space of about 20 months. And as often as the case, when we experience the death of a loved one who has fallen asleep in Jesus, it causes us to think in greater depth about heaven. And after both these deaths, I found myself at times lying in bed thinking about what heaven must be like. And one evening as I was lying in bed, I had, I can only say, a flash of inspiration and I felt that I should take a series on heaven and call it Glimpses of Glory. That was before the funeral service of my grandfather that had died most recently. And when it came to that day, I knew the hymns that were picked, but they didn't seem too significant or relate to this subject at that time. But as soon as we started singing, the first hymn was Sing the Wondrous Love of Jesus that we've already sung. And the third verse confirmed for me the reason why I was to preach on the subject of heaven. And it goes like this at least the two lines that were relevant. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Just one glimpse, or more than one glimpse, of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Dr. Stephen J. Lawson wrote a book recently on the subject of heaven, and he titled it, Heaven Help Us. Very insightful. Because whatever our lot in life is, as one of God's children, I believe and I think you'll find in your own experience that as we contemplate and meditate and study in depth over these weeks, heaven, you will find that heaven will help us. Now, we're tempted to think, especially those who are perhaps younger that heaven is really for the old folk, those in the waiting room of glory, those who are sick and want rid of all these diseases and ailments in their body, those who are dying perhaps with terminal illnesses. Uh, heaven is something that you want to think about if you're in those circumstances. But what relevance has it to me in my 20s or my 30s or, or 40s or in midlife? Well, the aim that I have in preaching this series on heaven is, I want all of us, whoever we are, whatever age we may be, whatever health we might have, I want us to become more heavenly minded. Now that is not escapism. As some would say, trying to artificially get away from the harsh realities of life around us. It is a fallacy to claim that someone, as many say, can be too heavenly minded for any earthly use. The opposite of that statement is in fact the truth. The more a person has heaven on their mind, the more use they will be on earth and to heaven. 
If a person is useless on earth, I assure you, it's not because they think too much about heaven. It's because they think too little of it. The reasons for and the benefits of studying heaven become self-evident and will do in the weeks that lie ahead. But let me, this evening in our introductory night, summarize some of these reasons why we should study heaven and take much time in doing it. That, that we might be clear as we go through more specific subjects each night why we're doing it. Now, this will not be an exhaustive answer to why we ought to study heaven, but I'm trying to get as much into the time that is afforded to us tonight to help us to understand why it's important and why it will benefit us immensely. Now, there are five reasons that I have tonight, and here's the first. Why is it important to study heaven, first of all? Because Christians are going there. Christians are going there. And the staggering truth is that there is a deafening silence among Christians and in the church at large when it comes to this great subject of heaven. Apart from a brief mention in the odd sermon, uh, particularly at funeral services, or in a, a paperback book, or in the hymns that we sing, or the prayers that we pray, yes, it is, it is mentioned and we give a wink and a nod toward the reality of the belief in the doctrine of heaven, but very little in-depth study actually occurs regarding the subject. Let me challenge you. Many Christians, I think, who have attended church all their lives, especially those in mid-age, around 50 and others, uh, 50 and under, can't recall hardly ever hearing a sermon on the subject of heaven. And if it is, or, or even mentioned in passing, seldom is the subject developed and explained. I'm always encouraging you to study Christian history, and it's only until recently that the doctrine uh, of heaven seemed less important to Christians and the church. For centuries, almost 2,000 years of our Christian history, heaven was an important, a vital focal point to every believer and to the church militant as a body. But for some reason today, uh, as one author has very perceptively said, heaven has fallen off our radar screens. It's remarkable when you think about it for a moment, uh, when we consider that there could be no more important subject for the child of God than where we will spend life, eternal life, forever, for all eternity. Yet Christians pay little attention to the details concerning their eternal destiny. It was J.C. Ryle, that great Anglican evangelical bishop of Liverpool, who said these words, listen very carefully. The man who is about to sail for Australia or New Zealand as a settler is naturally anxious to know something about his future home, its climate, its employments, its inhabitants, its ways, its customs. All these are subjects of deep interest to him. You're leaving the land of your nativity. You're going to spend the rest of your life in a new hemisphere. It would be strange indeed if you did not desire information about your new abode. Now surely, 
If we hope to dwell forever in that better country, even heavenly one, we ought to seek all the knowledge we can about it. Before we go to our eternal home, we should try to become acquainted with it. That makes sense, doesn't it? But the great question is, and there is much instruction in the answer to it, why is it that we are not more heavenly minded? And let me give you at least four suggestions why that might be. First of all, I think the reason why we don't study and think about heaven much is because we are too earthly minded. For some, even Christians, heaven has been eclipsed by earth. Earth is bigger. Earth is brighter. It is more attractive. It is more intoxicating. It has more of a magnetic draw. Someone has said, as the world goes, so goes the church. And just as many unbelievers around us in our world are thinking less and less about God and eternal truths and realities, it has infiltrated the church, filtered down into our hearts. As we become more materialistic and affluent, the thought of heaven doesn't draw us and woo us and win us as it used to other Christians of bygone days. I don't know whether you've ever tried holding a tiny penny to your eye and then look at the sun, but what happens is that massive ball of fire is completely blotted out. And what happens is even believers hold the world so close to them, their hearts and to, to their vision that they stop seeing heaven. One of the main reasons why we don't think about it is because we are too earthly minded. But a second reason may be because we are so occupied with the means, the manner, the time frame of how we are going to get to heaven. That is the study of eschatology. That is the study of the end times and the last things. Now let me say categorically that uh, that is a very important study because it's based on God's word. But so much has been written about prophecy uh, and preached about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet comparatively little has been said and written about our final destination that we will be in forever, heaven. In fact, if you go to your local Christian bookshop or if you have copies of them in your own library, systematic theologies, if you take them down from the shelf and flick through the chapters on the second coming of the Lord Jesus and the last judgment, you'll find them going through all the views of the Lord's return, amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, whatever else uh, there might be out there. And they take so much time going over all those different theories about the second coming of Christ that the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth, the place we will be forever is only given a couple of pages. As as if they have to write something on it, because that's how the Bible ends, but they don't really want to spend the time studying it in depth. The third reason, perhaps, why we don't think about heaven much is because we don't want to think about our own death. 
That's often something that we level at the unbeliever. But could it be as true for some of us? I leave that one with you. And the fourth reason I think we don't think much and study much about heaven, perhaps worst of all, is because some of us aren't going there. Pardon? Yes. Some of us may not be going there. Let me say before we we go into any more of our introduction this evening and indeed our subsequent studies, that if you find that you have a lack of desire even to be willing to think about heaven, and you have a lack of desire even to be willing to want to be with Christ forever, which is far better, that should make you concerned to make your calling and election sure in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. That if you love this world more than you love God, more than you love Christ, more than you love heaven, the love of the Father does not dwell in you. I remember being greatly impressed many years ago by reading one of the great Puritans, John Owen, In his book, The Glory of Christ, he says these profound words that relate to us regarding heaven. This is what he says. No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure behold it by faith in this world. Is there a lack of holiness in your life? You know, God's process is very clear in Romans chapter 8 that those that are elect, predestined, are then called. Those that are called are justified. Those that are justified are sanctified. And those that are sanctified will be glorified. Maybe the reason why you are not sanctified And I know it's a process, and I know that we've all struggles with sin, and we've all got gray areas in our life that we're trying to overcome. But the whole point is this. If there is no semblance of holiness in our lives, it is questionable whether we are traveling on our way to heaven. And that might betray the reason why you haven't a desire for it. Listen to God's word. In Hebrews 12 and verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Could it be that some in the church even do not think or study or want to go to heaven because they aren't going there? The first reason I've given to you tonight of why we should study heaven is because Christians are going there. The second reason I want to give you why we should study heaven is simply because we can. That might seem uh, an obvious statement. But let me ask you tonight, what do you know about heaven? What do you know about it? And I'm not talking about statements that you say, well, I think And I imagine, and uh, I'm not talking about that. What do you know definitely, categorically, that you can prove from the Scriptures about heaven? 
Or, or let me ask the question another way. Where does your knowledge that you have, whatever it is, about heaven come from? Where is it derived? And I fear uh, that, that some of our, our understandings of, of heaven is based simply on sentimentalism. It's maybe coming from the songs, the hymns, or the choruses that we sing. Many of them regarding heaven are distinctly unbiblical. Or perish the thought, perhaps our understanding of, of glory comes from some of the near-death experiences that we read about in cheap uh, Christian paperbacks or even in popular uh, magazines. And we think that this is what it's going to be like, looking down a tunnel at a light and, and floating out of our body and all sorts of things being carried and taken on a tour of, of heaven or hell. Or maybe our understanding of heaven, it, it's uh, wispy and vague. We think heaven is a non-physical, an ethereal place like the Eastern religions teach about. And maybe we've been indoctrinated by some of the New Age philosophies that are very prevalent around us. I'll tell you this, you would be surprised what a lot of people think about heaven. You might even get surprised as we go through this series what you think about heaven and how wrong it may be. Now maybe I'm wrong on this one, but I suspect that for the most part, most Christians, apart from saying, well, I know I'm going there and I know it's a place where there's no more sin or pain and Jesus and God uh, are there, they can't give you any idea what heaven is going to be like. They can't articulate what historical Christianity down through the years has thought and taught and reasoned about heaven. Now, if that's the case for you and me, we've only got ourselves to blame. And the reason why there is a dearth in understanding and in the contemplation of heaven is because we have failed to explore and explain the scriptures that deal with this teaching about heaven. Let me say that I endeavor in this series to base everything that I say upon the scriptures. And that must be our starting point. We must think biblically, of course, about everything. But as the case in matter tonight and these weeks is heaven, we must make sure that our understanding of heaven comes from nowhere else but God's word. Now, often we explain our ignorance of heaven by this remark. And I must say I have made it myself in the past. Heaven's unimaginable. And, and maybe some of you have been thinking that, even hearing that I'm taking up this theme. I mean, what are you going to really say? We don't know that much about it, and, and the Bible is full of what heaven won't be like, but it says very little about what heaven is actually like. That's a common perception, which I believe is wrong. Heaven is unimaginable. Let me say to you tonight, heaven is not unimaginable. It is not Now, I'm not a mind reader, but I know where you're going. Ah, but what about, what about what Paul said? Was it not the apostle who said in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that it has not entered into our minds or to the heart of a human being what heaven will be like? Now, I admit to you that the half has not been told. 
And uh, it would be wrong to say that we can know everything that we can about heaven. But in no sense is heaven unimaginable. And this is why that statement is important. As Randy Alcorn, who's written a superb book on heaven, has said, we cannot anticipate or desire what we cannot imagine. We cannot anticipate or desire what we cannot imagine. Now let me deal with your, well perhaps your objection to the fact that heaven is imaginable. Turn with me to that portion of scripture that I mentioned briefly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. And it is important that you turn to it with me tonight. Many sermons that you will hear and books that you will read about heaven will quote this verse. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. There you are. Case closed. Heaven is unimaginable. We cannot know things about it. It is inconceivable. And let me say, many of the false doctrines and misunderstandings in every subject that come are because people either do not take a verse in its context or they ignore completely the context that it is found in and don't even read the verses that come before it or after. Read the next verse with me, please. Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us. What? Those things that cannot be known through mere human wisdom. God has revealed them to us as believers by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And verse 13 actually shows us how God reveals these things to us by his Spirit, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, the Word of God. So don't use that verse in the wrong way. These things can be conceived, dare I say imagined, when we take what God's Spirit has revealed in the Word, the analogies, the figures, the pictures, the literal things that God describes about heaven, and we allow the Spirit to reveal them to our minds and to our hearts. And the reason why we should study heaven is because we can. It's not the case that we say it's a closed book and we'll not know until we get there and our eyes are opened and our ears. Yes, we'll not know the full extent of it all until then. But God, by his Spirit, Paul says, has revealed these things to us. Ah, you say, but what about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? He was taken up, wasn't he, to the third heaven himself, the dwelling place of God. And God revealed things to him, and Paul even admits there that he was unable to speak of his visit. Does that not mean that it was an indescribable experience? Well, I'm not sure it was. I tell you what it does mean. You might fault me for, you think, saying things that 
are not found in Scripture, but I could fault you for the same if you're pointing to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 because it doesn't say that he wasn't allowed to share his experience because heaven was indescribable. Does it say that there? No, it does not. It only tells us that he, he could not say what he has seen for whatever reason. But I'll tell you this much. John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos was told expressly to write down the things that he saw. And his last number of chapters are specifically about heaven. So you can't use Second Corinthians 12 to say that heaven is unimaginable. Once more, Ezekiel describes in his opening chapters right throughout his book, visions of heaven as does Isaiah and Isaiah Chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. They are describing what they are seeing for our understanding. Well, here's another objection. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong unto our God. And you're delving into matters here that are secret things that we can't know. We can't see into heaven. We can't hear what's going on in heaven. Therefore, we should just keep the book closed regarding it. It's a secret mystery of God. Well, again, the folly comes from not finishing Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong unto, our, uh, unto God, but the things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children. And God has revealed a great deal of material regarding heaven. And it is incumbent upon us that we study it. We grapple with it. And I agree with you. We cannot have exhaustive knowledge about this great subject. But I'll tell you this. We can have accurate knowledge about it. When we study the scriptures that God has given. Now I hope that's a revelation to you. Because it certainly is to me. The reason why we should study heaven, first of all, is because we Christians are going there, whether or not we feel like going just now. And the second reason is simply because we can. The material is there, and God has provided it for us. The third reason why we should study heaven is because of the misconceptions and the unanswered questions concerning heaven. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let me be very specific. Questions like this. Where do the dead go now? You ever thought about that? When the last couple of chapters of the book of Revelation talk about an eternal state which is not yet created, where do the dead go now? That is heaven, but can we call the place where the dead go heaven now? Well, we'll see this in weeks to come. Another question. Is heaven a physical place, or is it a state of mind where we just float about like, like disembodied spirits and have no consciousness but just happy to be out of our bodies and in the presence of God. Another, what will our bodies be like? Will we have a body when we die and go to the heaven that is there now? Or will we have to wait for our resurrection body and when we get it, what will it be like? And uh, an obvious question is, will we look like ourselves? I know some of you are praying that you won't, but uh, that is a question. Will we look like how we are just now here on the earth? 
And what comes out of that question, probably as the motivation for it, is, well, we know one another in heaven. When we know that loved one who has gone on to glory before us. And flowing out of that question is another question. How will we relate to those loved ones? Whether a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a best friend. And these are real questions. And let me say, it is not enough just to say, ah, we'll find out well and good when the time comes. That's not good enough. Because God has revealed many things that that instruct us regarding these truths. What about this one? What will we do in heaven? Will we all be bored singing every day? I know some of the Pentecostals and enjoy that, and I'll enjoy it too. But do you think that's what we're going to do? String a harp, sit in a cloud, and sing praise unto God. Hallelujah, 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 over and over again. Worthy is the Lamb. Or will we work? Work? I know some of you want to cash in your ticket already. Will we play? Will there be art? Will there be music? Will there be learning? Will we eat and drink? These are questions. Here's one that will interest you to find the answer. Will there be animals? I'm not suggesting you're a wee pet poodle that's gone to glory or anything like that. But the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible talks about a creation that is being Redeemed and one day will be burned up and a new earth will be formed. A new creation. Will there be animals? Will there be time and space? And I think I have said on occasion that, well, yes, God is outside of time and that it may be. But will we be? Perhaps the greatest question of all is, will we see God? Does the Bible say anything about that? And you might have your misconceptions or even just have these as questions. And we must be very careful over the next number of weeks not to speculate in our answers. But it is profound that the Bible has something to say on many of those things. We ought to study heaven because Christians are going there because we can. Because of misconceptions and unanswered questions. But fourthly, Because it ought to be our focus on the earth. We read about that in our introductory reading from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul said, set your reflections on things that are above. And the Lord Jesus uh, said the same in Matthew 6. Philippians 3 verse 20 tells us that if we are converted, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be focusing on heaven down here. And how can we focus on it if we don't know a lot about it and we never consider a study of it? That's why we must. Because through life we need the help of heaven. Our eyes should be heavenward constantly. We should be receiving grace from the throne of grace where there is mercy and grace to help in time of need. Heaven should be helping us in keeping us from sin and keeping us secure, guiding us, 
directing us, drawing us day by day to live and breathe close to her shores. And then when we have finished this life, our focus ought to be heaven, for in death, heaven is our hope. It is our hope for the loved ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus. It is our own hope when it comes our day to travel through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the point. We ought to, as believers, focus on heaven, on earth, because everything essentially that is precious to us as Christians is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior. Our Savior is in heaven. Hebrews 11 tells us about a great cloud of witnesses urging us on the dead in Christ who have gone before brothers and sisters in heaven. Jesus said to his own disciples, Rejoice not that the devils are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Our names are in heaven. Our inheritance, the Bible says, is in heaven, incorruptible and undefiled, that fades not away. Our citizenship is there. Our eternal reward, if we have much of it, will be there. And our treasure, if we're building it up in heaven, will be there waiting for us. That's why we should focus on heaven on earth. Jonathan Edwards, that great American theologian and man of God often spoke about heaven, and this is what he said concerning heaven as the focus of our earthly existence. It becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? Do we subordinate all other concerns of life to focus on heaven, to live for heaven, to strive for heaven? In his early 20s, Jonathan Edwards made a set of resolutions to live a more godly life, and here was one of them. I am resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. What do we do? We seek after as much happiness in this world. But that means that someday if we're trying to save our lives down here, we're going to lose it up there. We're going to be desperately, bitterly disappointed. It makes a difference. That's why we need to study heaven in great detail. Because it makes a difference to our lives if we focus on heaven on earth. And one thing it definitely does is it motivates us to live for Christ. And to live for heaven. Matthew 6. Jesus said build up treasures in heaven. Not on earth. And C.S. Lewis. Said regarding this. Listen this is profound. If you read history. You will find that the Christians. Who did most for the present world. Were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. 
aim at earth and you will get neither. What do you focus on in your life here on earth as a believer? That's why we need to study heaven. It ought to be our focus on earth. And fifthly and finally, we ought to study heaven because Jesus is there. Now, I am not in favor of ecumenism. And uh, I'm far from ecumenical. You only need to get my tape on Roman Catholicism and our series in the cults to find that out. But an old Roman Catholic missionary to China in the 15th century, or I beg your pardon, the, the 16th century, 1579, by the name of Matthew Ricci, said a profound thing. And even though he was a Roman Catholic missionary, it doesn't mean he didn't ever say anything that was true. This is what he said. And listen carefully to it. It is a warning to all of us as we embark upon a study in heaven. Those that adore heaven instead of the Lord of heaven are like a man who desiring to pay the emperor homage prostrates himself before the imperial palace at Peking and venerates its beauty. There is a danger that we get so taken up with heaven that we forget that the reason for being taken up with heaven is that Christ is there. Our Lord, our Savior. That's why we sing just one glimpse of him in glory. We must never think of heaven apart from God, apart from Christ. I think people often think of prophecy in, in that way. They think about all the different systems and what's going to happen and the scrolls and the bowls and this and that when the greatest book in the Bible on prophecy is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This study glimpses of glory will only truly benefit us if it gives us glimpses of his glory. Well, I hope you see tonight why it is so important to study heaven. I hope perhaps I've whet your appetite to come back and learn more about it. Maybe it has exposed this evening the neglect of heaven in your own life. Well, come with us these weeks, study with us, and see the difference that heaven will make in your life. Let me share this story with you as I close. In 1952, there was a young girl called Florence Chadwick who stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim from it to the shore of the state of California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. And on that day, she decided to swim uh, from California to that Catalina Island. The weather was very foggy. It was freezing cold. She could hardly see even the boats that were around her accompanying her in that journey. She swam and she swam and she swam for 15 hours. And 
Eventually, she'd had enough. She couldn't take it anymore. And she begged to be taken out of the water along the way. And her mother was in the boat right beside her. And she said, Mother, get me out. And her mother told her that she was very, very close to the shore and that she could make it if she just kept going. And finally, she was physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. And she stopped swimming. And she had to be winched out of the water. And it wasn't until she got onto that boat that she discovered that the shore was less than half a mile away. And at the news conference the next day, this is what she said. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Do you see the shore, believer? Have you a glimpse of glory? I'll tell you. Listen. Just one glimpse of him and glory will the toils of life repay. It'll get you through the fog. He'll keep you on the road. He'll take you to the end of the journey. And that is my prayer, that it will be that experience that you will have in these weeks. Can I ask you, will that be glory for you? Are you sure you're on your way to heaven? Make your calling and election sure tonight. Repent of any known sin and believe alone in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who bled and died for sinners and rose again to give them eternal life in heaven. Believe in him and you can be sure. What about the spiritual state of your life, believer, tonight? Will it be glory? Don't forget that before we get into heaven, there will be a judgment seat. Someone has said it will be hard to look Jesus in the eyes on that day. Will that be glory for you? Oh, our Father, we thank you tonight for your word. And this is only dipping our toe, if we could say it, at the edge of the shore of this great subject of heaven tonight. Lord, lead us by your Spirit into these weeks that lie ahead and give us such a Scripture-induced vision of glory that we will actually want to be there. Bless our hearts and apply your word to our need, whatever it may be. To the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.